Welcome everyone to the Dining on a Dime podcast, where we give you tips on how to save on your monthly food budget. Now we give you the absolute best foodie news, and our professionals will give you recipes and cooking tips. So let's get the show started. All right. Welcome everyone to a brand new edition of Dining on a Dime today. Our show is being recorded on January 5th, so I decided uh, to talk about the first 15 minutes is going to talk about how do they celebrate New Year's around the world. I mean, I'm sure you're sitting at home saying, what do they do in, say, Australia on New Year's? What is the traditions there? We're going to talk about that the first 15 minutes. Our second 30 minutes of this podcast will be with our contributor. Uh, Gene Bloom, he's a culinary expert. He is going to talk about New Year's foods and traditions. So he's going to go pretty much around the country and talk about what do they do traditionally around the country on New Year's. Uh, He's going to talk about the food and traditions. And then the last 15 minutes of the show is going to be some money-saving tips uh, for your food budgets. That's why we're called Dining on a Dime. We give money-saving tips And we'll be doing that in 45 minutes. Let's get the show started. What do they do in Estonia uh, on New Year's? What do you think? Well, in Estonia, the country of Estonia, they eat 7, 9, or 12 meals on New Year's Day to show abundance in the new year. So if you guys are (laughs) planning to travel there, that is what you can expect on New Year's. Denmark. In Denmark on New Year's, they break unused plates and dishes, and it is typical for them to jump off chairs as a tradition. Uh, They're jumping into the New Year. In Ireland, they thoroughly clean the house and garden before New Year's Day because they believe that a dirty home on New Year's Day means it's going to be dirty the rest of the year. So it's actually an Irish tradition that they clean up uh, thoroughly uh, before the New Year. In Scotland, the first person to visit the house on New Year's Day should bring a gift uh, to bring the person good luck in the new year. Germany. Uh, Germany is called Sylvester, and it is one of the largest gatherings in all of Europe with fireworks and parties. So it's a big deal. Uh, New Year's in Germany is a very big deal. In Spain... New Year's is celebrated with a delicious wine, and they wear different colored underwear to represent a different hope for the new year. Now, how about that, Taylor? Different color underwear is worn in Spain on New Year's Day to symbolize uh, different hopes that they have for the New Year's. So so pull out that purple underwear when you go to Spain. Uh, In Australia... We celebrate while the sun is shining bright, and they have midnight fireworks in Sydney. So what they do in Australia, which is a little different, is their celebrations are during sunlight. It's not done at night like they normally do over here. Uh, In South Africa, it is customary to throw out old furniture from a window into the street. Did you hear that, Taylor? They're throwing furniture into the streets in South Africa. Uh, Cape Town holds a big, huge carnival. In Ethiopia, they recognize the 13th month, and they celebrate the new year on September, around September 11th. Nigeria, if you go to Nigeria on New Year's, they have elaborate parties, and Lagos has masquerades. In Zimbabwe, they celebrate for a three-day extravaganza. With a lot of live parties and DJs. Uh, just so everyone knows, I am solo today. Our co-host had last-minute emergencies. So our food photojournalist, Amaris Pollock, and our alcohol expert will be with us again on the 19th when we return. So just so you're, if you're wondering where the co-hosts are, that is what's happening. They had last-minute uh, emergencies. Senegal. La Fanal Festival has people dressed in elaborate costumes. In Mexico, they toss coins on the ground and sweep it back into the house to symbolize a prosperous new year. So 
in Mexico, they toss coins on the ground and sweep it back into the house to symbolize a prosperous New Year. So have you ever thought about that, Tally? Are you sitting home going, what are they doing on New Year's Day in Mexico? Have you ever thought about it? No? All right, Taylor's waiting on his mic, right? I have not, no. (laughs) In Puerto Rico, they throw buckets of water out the window to drive away evil spirits. And they eat 12 grapes at midnight. Here is an interesting thing, Taylor. I found out that eating grapes on New Year's Day is actually popular around the country. I believe, Mr. I believe we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But grapes are actually eaten uh, at midnight on New, Year's e- on New Year's Day. Canada is very similar uh, to New Year's in the USA. So Canada uh, is similar to how they celebrate in America, but in Canada, they do the polar bear plunge. That is where the polar bear plunge became famous in Canada. If you're listening to this show in August or July or September, a lot of our listeners listen to our archives. Please note that later in the show, we will go on to a neutral topic. In 45 minutes, I will be talking about how to save money on your food budgets. Uh, So if you're listening now and you're saying New Year's does not apply in July or August, uh, 45 minutes into the program, uh, I will be giving you very good money-saving tips. In Ecuador, they burn scarecrows at midnight. A lot of these are traditional. They're not, they're not still doing this stuff. I want to make that clear. Some of these places, this is just a, an old wise tale. Uh, some of these are traditional. That doesn't mean they're still doing it. They burn photos from the previous year to symbolize a fresh start. Brazil, they wear white to symbolize good luck. And it is uh, said to bring luck if you jump over seven different waves while making wishes for each wave. So that is pretty cool. Uh, In Peru, they put three potatoes under a chair. This is a cool thing, Taylor. In Peru, they put three potatoes under a chair. Uh, One is partially peeled and one has all of its skin. And at midnight, you blindfold yourself. And you pick a potato, right? And each potato gives a different prediction for the new year. Now, here's my thing. If it's good luck to pick the, uh, the, the potato with the skin on, couldn't you feel that, right? If you feel a potato with skin, you should be able to tell the skin is still on. I don't know. That's, that's just what they're doing in Peru. In Chile, they focus on honoring deceased loved ones. So Chile, it is uh, customary to focus on honoring your deceased loved ones on the new year. In the Philippines, they leave the doors, the windows, the cabinets. Everything is left wide open in order to allow good luck to enter for the new year. In Thailand, they throw water, which is customary in South American countries. Uh to throw water, uh, you know, to symbolize uh, tossing out the bad luck. Chinese New Year is between late January and the third week of February. Obviously, if you go to Chinatown in any major country, if you're listening around the world, I'm sure uh, Chinese New Year is a big celebration in your particular city. And that is celebrated with dragon dancing, fireworks, etc., In South Korea, there are sunrise festivals. People watch the first sunrise of the year and make a wish as the sun is rising. And they say it will come true if you make a wish when the sun is coming up. In Japan, bells are rung 108 times. Children are given envelopes with money. In Hungary, lots of superstition in Hungary. Uh, They believe that the first visitor on New Year, if it's a male, it's good luck. If it's a female, it's bad luck. So if you have a visitor, the first visitor of the year in Hungary, they believe that if it's a male, it's good luck. If it's a female, it's bad luck. So (laughs) in Israel, uh, New Year's is celebrated based upon the Jewish calendar. Uh, Sometimes that is in September. 
The Netherlands usually spent hanging at home with family, then they celebrate in the streets at midnight. In Russia, Christmas was banished during the communist regime. How about that, Taylor? The communist regime banished uh, Christmas. So New Year's is what, what they used to celebrate. You know, they used to celebrate Christmas at New Year's because the Christmas was banished by the uh, communist regime. All right. All right. Let's keep going. If people are at home falling asleep, but uh, we're going to keep going. We still have five minutes left in this segment. I will have our contributor, Gene Bloom, uh, coming on here at 30 minutes into the show. And he will talk about lots of great stuff, lots of traditions uh, with food and New Year's traditions. We're going to keep going around the world. Uh, like I said, at 45 minutes into the show, I'm going to give you incredible tips on how to save money uh, in your food budget. I have apps and I have websites that will actually, you know how you, uh, not you particularly, but you know how people have cars in their driveway and they're just sitting there? There's actually a service that will actually let you rent that car out to someone else and make money from that car. Same thing with parking spots. You know, big cities have spare park. you know, hard to park in big cities. I'm actually going to tell you about a service that will allow you to rent that parking spot to someone else. So if you're listening around the world, be sure to stay tuned. 45 minutes into the show. Saudi Arabia follows the Islamic calendar, which has 354 days, and there is nothing special in Saudi Arabia on New Year's. Scotland. Children go door-to-door singing and are given pies and sweets for their sweet voice. So basically in Scotland, they do something similar to Christmas caroling. And uh, the people that answer the door actually reward them with sweets and pies. And it's supposed to symbolize the sweet voice that they just heard. So something different. Columbia. They carry around empty suitcases to represent a travel-filled New Year. So I can get down with that. I'll, I'll, I'll walk around with an empty suitcase, and hopefully that'll give me a travel-filled New Year. In Finland, they cast molten tin into water, and they predict the future based on what shape the tin becomes. In Hong Kong... You plan on going to Hong Kong on New Year's anytime soon, Taylor? <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> they have gatherings and celebrations are usually at shopping malls. In Hong Kong, There's the big, large gatherings of celebrations are usually done at a shopping mall. Korea has two New Year's in bo- both North and South Korea. One New Year's celebration is for the Lunar New Year and one is for the Solar New Year. Malaysia has government-sponsored celebration with huge fireworks displays. In Pakistan, they have fireworks in the major cities, uh, similar uh, to what they have over here in the U.S. Once again, we have listeners around the world, but we're based in the U.S., so that's why I say. (laughs) Uh, Taiwan has a major fireworks display. Albania has a New Year's tree, similar to a Christmas tree. And at midnight, people make toasts and fireworks are lit. Austria has large crowds gather in the streets of Vienna with a huge fireworks display. Bosnia has a huge party in Sarajevo with bands playing and fireworks. So that is, we're down to our last 10. Is there an applause I hear, Taylor? Because we're down to our last 10, huh? In France, they have a big feast. Friends and family members exchange New Year's resolutions and best wishes. In Greece, there is a midnight star. There you go. Because we're almost done. Thank you, Taylor. In Greece, there is a midnight fireworks display over the Parthenon Temple in the capital of Athens. In Iceland, they have fireworks are a big deal in Iceland. And they have a major fireworks display in their capital city. Italy has fireworks and there are concerts on TV with surprises. Uh, There's an old tradition in Italy about eating lentil soup and it brings you good luck. 
Montenegro has fireworks, and they celebrate with family and friends at home. We have one minute left in Poland. There's a huge concert in Main Square in Krakow, and mountains are a popular destination in Poland. Sweden, they usually celebrate with family and friends with fireworks and champagne. In England, it is celebrated with the chimes of Big Ben. So how many times have you heard about Big Ben, Taylor? Millions of times? Sure. They, yeah. they actually ring Big, Big Ben on New Year's in England. All right, well, that goes for the uh, New Year's celebrations around the world. Now, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we will have our contributor, Gene Bloom, on the phone, and he is going to talk about New Year's foods and traditions. Let's go to break. Check out our new podcast, Learn About World Cuisine, where we travel to a different country from around the world each week and give you fascinating facts about both the country and the cuisine. Our world traveler gives you his real-life experience in the country, and our wine expert gives you the best wine pairings with your cuisine. Our podcast is available on all platforms, or you can simply Google Learn About World Cuisine to listen to the show. All right, we are back. Hello. Hello, Gene, culinary expert. He's going to talk about New Year's foods and traditions. Gene, I just got done doing a 15-minute segment on how New Year's is celebrated around the world. You're going to talk about more of a domestic New Year's, correct? I am. I'm going to talk about traditions related to food throughout the United States. And we'll talk a little bit about some specialty cuisines, but mostly here in the States and taking a trip down through the South and out to the West Coast and back to Pennsylvania and a little bit, in between, yeah, because I just got done so, giving. I just got done giving New Year's uh, traditions in fifty different countries. So you're going to cover the domestic part. This is fantastic. Go ahead, Gene. I'll let you go. Go ahead. Well, first of all, happy whipped cream day, everyone, <laughs> um, and we are welcome. It's a, a good day for that. So, New Year's food traditions in the United States. Obviously, being a fairly young country, a lot of our traditions date back to other countries and have a lot of, you know, roots going back to 5000 B.C., back to, you know, the Mesoamericans, back to the Egyptians and a lot of different things. And they all came over, you know, as as the company developed and expanded a little bit. But it's really important to realize that these traditions are all rooted in symbolism for the most part. And we're going to start with one of my favorites down south in what they call the Carolina Low Country, which would be Hoppin' John. And Hoppin' John actually is focused on black-eyed peas. Black-eyed peas, if you've never made them, they are not peas, they are beans. Um, Black-eyed peas are a staple of the Carolina Low Country Fabulous, fabulous to use in stews and a lot of different things. But the origin of them goes all the way back to the Egyptian days when they were considered good luck because they brought humility. It was a peasant food that represented humility. So even back as far as you know the Egyptian rules, they were being used back then as a celebration for New Year's. Um, so Hoppin' John, which is a southern meal staple, it's a mixture of black-eyed peas, rice, and some type of pork. Pork in itself is considered good luck, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. It came to this country around the became popular around the 19th century, um, and it really is linked to New Year's for two different reasons. One, New Year's is that period between harvest and planting, so it was a downtime. Uh, for, you know, the African uh, slaves that were here in America to be eating and celebrating and doing things like that. So they had that downtime. The other really popular reason for that is that the emancipation took place in January of 1863. So it is a very popular celebratory food for January as well. 
it's usually served when you get um, Hop and John. And if you've never had it, I really do suggest you go out and get Hop and John and try it at a, at a wonderful soul food restaurant or if you're down south. Usually served with collards, which greens represent the image and symbolism of money. So the color and the fold of them kind of indicates money and wealth. And then cornbread, because of its color and style, represents gold. So when you combine the two of them and then you look at the black-eyed peas, when you look at them, they resemble a coin. So the black-eyed peas tie-in is that it's really big into wealth, money, prosperity, um, you know, and, and just overall having a better financial year. The first mention that I was able to find of them was um, in a book that I that I saw dating back to 1838, and it was called Recollections of a Southern Matron. I love this book and the fact that if you could ever look it up online and get it, it really talks about the great culinary history of the South. So, um, you know, you go from that area there down in the Carolina Low Country, and we could easily move across that into New Orleans and get into the French cuisine of America or the Bayou cuisine of America. The NOLA, the big thing that they do down there, very ties into Mardi Gras as well, and that would be the king cakes. So king cakes are significant in that they are round. Round foods, bagels, donuts, king cakes, or any type of cake is significant because it brings the whole world back into a full circle, and it brings happiness and life and wealth back to a full circle. So anything shaped in a ring, which a king cake is, is considered good luck for that. But more importantly, king cakes, which if you've never had one, they're very colorful, they're spiced, they have a lot of uh, sprinkles on top and just you know very bright and everything you would think about for Mardi Gras. They're traditionally eating, eaten from the 6th to the 12th night of the Epiphany. So you'll get them up until this week. They would be very popular. Um, and it represents the gifts that the Magi brought to baby Jesus on the 12th day after birth. So, you know, the, the 12th day of the Epiphany, which is what we're getting ready to celebrate, you know, Tomorrow, this week, um, the churches are celebrating that. Catholic churches are celebrating that. So, king cakes have a really, you know, strong tie to that. They're also called twelfth night cakes, and in in old world Europe, you'll call you'll see them called twelfth night cakes. But here in America, we call them king cakes. The great thing about king cakes is when you get them today, they have a little plastic baby someplace in the cake baked into it, and if you get that little plastic baby, it represents good wealth. Don't worry, everyone. It does not represent a baby on the way. It just represents, <laughs> you know, good luck. But originally, when they first started out, they were baked with pecans in them instead of the little plastic babies. And then they actually started baking them with porcelain dolls, with miniature porcelain dolls. And those dolls have later gone on to become collector's items in itself. And a, a lot of chefs who, you know, down in Nolan, places like that, will actually have a collection of them. The idea of king cakes goes back into Europe. Uh, in Greece, they had uh, a very similar cake of Veselpita, which was a king pie or a, a basil pie, was often called, and that had a coin baked into it. In Spain, they have a similar one. It's called a Rosa de Reyes. They have one in Portugal. They have one in France as well. They're all very similar in style. Um, they're round. They're going to be something baked into it. They're usually very rich. Um, the American king cake is usually iced, but Europeans are usually filled with things. So if you leave NOAA and you head kind of just across the southern United States and you come down to, you know, the southwest, you'll get one of the very unique traditions that goes back all the way to 5,000 BC, and that would be tamales. And I always get asked, why would tamales represent good wealth or good wealth or good luck in the new year? 
And it really has to do with the fact that tamales in the season are very labor intensive. So they represent everybody coming together to make the tamales. The family would all come together. Everyone would be huddled in the kitchen making tamales. The season for celebration for tamales is a little longer. It starts on December 12th, and it actually runs to the 6th. So it starts with Our Lady of Guadalupe and comes all the way to Three Kings Day. So it's it's a little bit longer of a season, but that you know tradition really dates back to the Mayan and the Aztec reign. Tamales were big then, and the same thing back then. Everybody would come together at the holidays and do that. They actually became a very big street food around the 1870s in uh, Los Angeles and Southern California, and that tradition of having tamales for New Year's then you know, propagated itself through California and other regions and really became a, a little bit of a West Coast thing as well. And it became that, you know, on the local street, on the local street carts, the little street vendors that were selling them. So, and if you can get your hands on good homemade tamales, there's a couple places in Philadelphia, but if you have some in your city, really, I encourage you over the New Year's to go get them. So I love to talk about Italian food. I yeah, this is the part Italian I'm looking forward to. <laughs> this is the part I've been looking at. Go ahead, so, Gene. The, the Italians are very big with um, New Year's for them is lentils. Lentils need to be incorporated into any of their feasts or any of their dinner. And Italian New Year's, a New Year's Day feast, can be anywhere from two hours to six hours in Lent and, and just have multiple course after multiple course after multiple course. But lentils is going to play a big part of that and usually served with some type of sausage or pork. And we get back to that. I talked on a little bit earlier about sausage and pork and why pork is, is very good luck. And we're going to get into that in just a moment, but pork through all these traditions and through all these cultures is a very important good luck charm for the new year. Um, so lentils, again, very much like black eyed peas, they are round and they're shaped like a coin. And you know, it is said that you need to eat at least 12 of them on new year's. And, you know, they are a sign of prosperity there when anything like a black eyed pea or a bean or a lentil, when there's you know many of them, it's considered a sign of prosperity. So it's very important in that, in that aspect. So getting into why pigs are considered lucky, it's a very simple thing. Chickens scratch backwards. Turkeys scratch backwards. Pigs root forward. So they put their nose down in the mud, they move forward, and, there's a, and as a result, pigs and all pork products are considered a sign of progress. Now, I also know that there's a little bit of a historical tie to pork at the New Year's because pork is a late fall, early winter harvest. Pigs are slaughtered right before you know, December, so fresh pork and pork products are very common. But the lentils is actually a staple since about 8,000 B.C. in Syria. So lentils go back and were used as celebratory meals on New Year's and around the special celebrations and holidays going back to Syria, 8,000 BC, which is quite a long time ago. Uh, they really became popular when the Spanish brought them over in around the 16th century. They became really popularized then. So we also spoke a little bit about pork and, and why that's lucky. And here in Pennsylvania and in Ohio, in particular in the Philadelphia area, the Lancaster area, um, pork and sauerkraut is everything on New Year's. Yep. I don't know any family in the area that does not celebrate pork and sauerkraut on New Year's Day. And again, that goes back to the progress of the pig rooting forward. It all and sauerkraut is a symbolism of riches and prosperity and long life. 
And that comes from the fact that it is made with cabbage, which is very long strands and multiple long strands. So as a result, when you combine that progress with the multiple long strands of long life and prosperity, you can't have a better meal on New Year's than pork and sauerkraut. Now, if you can somehow go ahead and combine king cake with that for dessert, then you <laughs> could throw some you know, Hop and John in there, and we could talk a little bit about some of the other things that you can incorporate into that. But really, that is the quintessential meal in um, in the Philadelphia, Ohio region. Okay, Gene, real quick, we we're going to go to we're going to take our uh, a break, and then when we get back, you can go into that because this is a great uh, topic. We're going to go right to break. We'll be right back. You can find the Dining on a Dime podcast on social media on Facebook. Dining on a Dime, the number one. On Twitter, at Dining on a Dime, the number one. And on Instagram, KJW1972. Please subscribe to our show. We are available on all podcast platforms, including iHeartRadio and Spotify. All right, we're back. We're just talking to our contributor, Gene. He's getting into the best part about his segment. He's talking about pork and sauerkraut. Gene, since I was a little kid, I was always told pork and sauerkraut was what you should eat for good luck in the new year. Go ahead, my friend. Well, and, and that tradition is so based and rooted in the Pennsylvania Dutch and the German settlers that came to the Philadelphia region earlier on. And even carried over to a little bit of the mummers, um, if you're not from Philadelphia, you may be asking what a mummer is. Mummer is a um, it is a parade. It is a string band. It is original to Philadelphia. It is actually the oldest New Year's Day parade in America. And the mummers literally would walk up the streets for many years. They would walk up and they would play their string bands and they would dress up in their very elaborate costumes ordained in feathers and boas and very colorful and a very unique parade. And if you ever have an opportunity to see, you'll probably be shaking your head wondering what it is, but it is a wonderful tradition here in Philadelphia. But the tradition of the mummers is that the bands would walk up and on the back half of the parade, they would literally stop at particular homes and they would sing for their supper. So their pay for today would be, getting fed by different, you know, folks along the route. One of the big dishes was pork and sauerkraut, and another was commonly the lentils that we talked about as well. And really talked, you know, had to do with whether it was, you know, a German, Irish, or Italian family that was feeding them. But there's, you know, a saying in Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia region, that, you know, you sing for your supper. Well, that came about from the fact that the mummers literally did that. And the parade was extremely long. It's very abbreviated and shortened today, but it was much longer in its heyday. And you know, by the back half of the day, the mummers were very hungry. So some other really bizarre New Year's Day kind of meals. Some of them are very, um, very localized. And one of my favorite is a soft pretzel. Now, New Year's Day soft pretzels. Soft pretzels are considered good luck any day of the week. They have a German tradition. It goes back to prayer and it goes back to, um, you know, a lot of God's will when you're, when you're eating a soft pretzel. But out of Ohio, and very particularly the Sandusky, Ohio area, they do something very unique on New Year's Day. And they have a very sweet, not savory, soft pretzel. So instead of being toasted or covered with salt, it's usually done either glazed or it is filled with candied fruit or nuts. And it's usually served for breakfast or brunch, but it has been said to bring good luck. And in Sandusky, Ohio, any place you go on New Year's Day, you're likely to find the glazed soft pretzels or ones that are studied with candy, instead of with candy fruit and, and nuts. 
I think that's a different issue and I'd like to bring here to Philadelphia, but very few people were on board with that. <laughs> so then if we go to other neighborhoods throughout, in Chinatown for New Year's Day, the big thing, and this will carry on, I'm getting to that in February, but in Chinatown, two things are very common. One is noodles. And the trick with the noodles is they must be very long life, very long, long noodles to represent long life. And you cannot cut them. You need to keep them whole from the bowl or the plate to your mouth. So that idea of a long, a long noodle symbolizing long life. The Japanese will actually take it a little bit further. So if you go to a Japanese restaurant on New Year's, you're probably going to get a buckwheat noodle because or a soba noodle, as it's commonly referred to, but the buckwheat noodles are considered to be resilient. So you combine the resiliency and long life, and you've got a good year ahead of you. The other thing that's very popular, and this is popular in a lot of cultures, but the Asian culture will do that, is a whole fish. When you eat the fish from head to tail, you get that wholeness, you get a complete year in. The other thing is, Fish, for the most part, swim forward. So being that they swim in one direction like that and they swim forward, it also marks progress. And then the fact that fish are often found in schools, that abundance and that, you know, prosperity that comes with that is also signified there. Fruits are common all through many cultures. The Italians will do this. Uh, a lot of the Filipino cultures, the Asian cultures, on New Year's Eve in America will have a lot of fruits. The Filipino cultures will have 12 fruits. Usually pomegranate is one of them. Pomegranate is something I actually love this time of year. January is the time, the time of the year to get them. They're in abundance and they're at the ripest and best form. But when you open up a pomegranate, you see all those seeds, which again ties back to the abundance to the richness that comes with that. And that bright red color is said to signify fertility. So in this case, people be careful. Wow. And a couple let me, other things that are good. Sure. Yeah, Gene. So, okay. So, you know, when you're looking at any of these, any of the foods that think about leafy greens all through America, whether it is down south, you're going to get the leafy greens to signify money, wealth. You also see it in little things like kale salads and Caesar salads in the Italian culture. Um, all that symbolism is so important in everything that we eat. And we really we don't even really think about why we eat these foods. You know, if I asked my children why they eat pork and sauerkraut, they probably couldn't tell me. <laughs> but they wouldn't want to go through New Year's without it. And me too. So I would. I, I never knew yeah. till today why that was important on New Year's. Well, the, the pork is, you know, the pork because of that progress and then the sauerkraut. You know, here in my house, we do a very mixed New Year's Day dinner. Right. So I'll start usually with a lentil salad or something in that line. And that's what I did this year. I did kind of a lentil salad to tie in everything. We did, uh, I did a little bit of a stew, which was black eyed peas this year. And it had a little bit of a pork in it. But then I did the full pork and sauerkraut as well. Nice. And I did collard, you know, I did uh, braised collard greens with that. And I used a little pork in the braised collard greens, which is what I would always do anyway. But I would, you know, put a little uh, pork in that. So I had that that money in that aspect. I finished up with a king cake. So I think 2021 is going to be a good year. I did everything on my part. <laughs> right. You know, I could only help from here. Yeah, sure. Gene, so. let me ask you a question. You are a sure. chef. Let's talk about you because uh, our listeners are very happy with the segments you have given us. Uh, talk about yourself. Uh, talk about, uh, you know, what you do, your expertise, uh, et cetera. So uh, my background is um, I am a chef. 
I uh, went to school and became a chef, and I did an apprenticeship and spent my time in restaurants and hotels and catering operations and things like that. The interesting part of my background is my my formal education prior to that was in science, biology, and chemistry. So I really apply that approach to a lot of what I do. But the biggest part of my cooking style is learning about the people and the cuisine. So understanding food history, understanding the cultures, I feel that I can cook the food. Without that, I don't really... I don't know how successful I would be. And as a chef, uh, as a chef, today, I'm sorry, Gene, but as a chef, you would have to agree that science plays a major role in cooking, doesn't it? It, it absolutely does. Once you understand the science of food, you're able to substitute ingredients. You're able to understand what things do. You can approach things from a different point of view. You know, I, I often say, you know, one of the great things about, you know, science I went to an event one time. I was doing a small catering event, and I was making crepes to order. And the guest count increased like 18 people. Wow. So I had to make some crepes on the fly. I had to make some crepe batter on the fly. So I opened up their cabinet, and they have no flour. Oh. I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. What am I, you know, what am I going to what am I going to do here? How am I going to, you know, create some crates on the fly in this particular situation? And what they did have was matzo flour. So I knew that it wasn't exactly the same. It was going to be a little bit different. But, you know, using knowing what I did, I was able to adjust the recipe and make a crate batter and overcome that and feed the rest of the people. So, yeah, science does have a really big play in cooking and understanding foods, and it's a really important thing. But I honestly believe that understanding the culture and the people and why they did particular things, you'll actually end up a better chef than if you just focus on the science. So you're saying basically learn why you have pork and sauerkraut on New Year's Day. You know, learn why these cultures eat certain things, right? Absolutely. You know, one of the quintessential things, and I I was a culinary educator. I taught culinary arts for 15 years, and I would often talk to African-American students, and I would ask them, you know, how do you like your steak done? And I would get, well done. And I'm like, why? I I don't know. What what my father did, what his father did. So we would take them back and and explain to them why that is a common thing in the African-American culture. And it has to do with going all the way back to the days of slavery and the fact that obviously, sadly, slaves were not giving the prime cuts of meat. They were giving meat that was already adulterated and starting to spoil. And cooking it long and slow made it safe to eat. And while everybody shakes their head and says, well, that's a terrible thing, realize that's where barbecue became. And as a result, we have really the quintessential American cuisine involved in barbecue. So sometimes great things come out of difficult circumstances. Absolutely. And when we talk about soul food, the next time I'm on, we're going to really get into a lot of that. Uh, soul food is absolutely a fabulous, as we get into February, which is Black History Month, soul food is you know really making the best with ingredients that were there and where we do where we came from today. So my background is culinary as a chef, as a culinary educator. I still do a great deal of culinary education programs. I do wine pairings. I do bourbon tastings. I do bourbon pairings with food. I do culinary team building exercises with corporations where we'll go in and, you know, do dinner together for, you know, 30 or 40 or 200 people where everybody has a role in preparing the dinner and making it like a catering event where everybody sits down at the same time and all the food's ready. That uh, really, they prepared it, not me. I'll tell you what, um, you did You I did your job today. You did your job today because I've been hearing about pork and sauerkraut since I was a little boy, and I never knew why. <laughs> so you, you, well, you, you were successful today. We have about one minute left. Let's well, and, and this, go ahead. Sure. 
So the idea of the sauerkraut too is also remember that it, that is a winter vegetable. So really, again, it's harvested in November, December. This is the time that they would be harvesting it as a winter vegetable. So it ties right into the dinner. That is that being said, um, if anybody has any questions directly related to food, you can email me directly at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. That's I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E-2 at yahoo.com. If I could ever be of assistance in any which way in any of the different things I do, from large event management to serve safe instructing to menu development, feel free to reach out to me, and you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter under IBFoodie2. Gene, you are tremendous. That was an incredible segment. I want to thank you, and we will see you uh, for your next segment uh, in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much, Gene. No problem, sir. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Have a great two weeks. Happy New Year to everybody. And let's take 2021 and make it ours. Thank you, Gene. That was our contributor, Gene uh, Bloom. And I'll tell you what, that segment was awesome because I didn't know. You know, there was a lot of question, a lot of things in that segment that I never knew. And the pork and sauerkraut is the most important because I've been told for 40 years that you should eat pork and sauerkraut on New Year's Day. But I never knew why till just this moment. Let's go to break. When I come back, you're going to hear about... Uh, how to save money in the food department. You can find Dining on a Dime every Friday at 1 p.m. on WMLD radio app and on air at 103.7 FM in New York, the voice of the Hudson Valley. All right, we're back. Now, I know today is more like a classroom session, but... Uh, we had our co-hosts had last-minute uh, issues that came up, and they couldn't make it into the studio. So I said, "Let's." I'll tell you what. Let's reschedule the guest, and we will have a, a more informative, you know, an educational-type show. Gene Bloom did an amazing job. A lot of the stuff he talked about, I never even knew. All right, let's go. Money-saving tips. Our show is called Dining on a Dime. So I have a lot of listeners that listen in every week because they want some tips on food budgets. Okay, let's get started. Uh, when you buy your seafood, a lot of times the seafood in the frozen food section is the same as in the fresh section, and the frozen food section seafood is a lot cheaper. Uh, a lot of our chefs that listen to the show are like to cook with you know, extravagant spices. A lot of times you can shop ethnic stores or the ethnic aisle of your supermarket and get good deals on those spices. Whereas if you went to the regular aisle or you went to a specialty store, you would pay a, a boatload of money. All right. I'm going to throw this in here, even though it's not food related, because I thought this was fascinating. You know how a lot of you guys might have a car sitting in your driveway and you're like, I have, you know, I bought a new car. I don't really need that car. It was supposed to go to your son who's a teenager and he never got his license. He kept failing the driver's test. I have found out, keep in mind, we don't endorse any of the recommendations as far as apps or websites. We're just telling you they're there and, you know, you guys can do the uh, research but there's a thing called Hire Car, H-Y-R-E-C-A-R. And it allows you, it's, it says Hire Car and Get Around. I, that might be a misprint, uh, but you guys can Google it. But they allow you to rent and make money from a car that you do not use. So if you had bought a car for your teenager and he failed his driving uh, test 80,000 times, that car can actually make you money. Just look the, the, that company up. Once again, we don't endorse it. Just Google it and we'll see, you know what I mean, and let us know, uh, you know, dining on a dime at yahoo.com. Let me know if that is actually legit or not. There's another service called Pave Mint. And say you live in a busy city and there's people 
dying for parking spots. And if you own the parking spot, Pavement supposedly allows you to rent out that parking space that you're not using. Once again, dining on a dime, yahoo.com. Let us know. Is that legit? Let's find out. Uh, let's find out. Uh, okay, let's keep going. Uh, you can also borrow expensive items instead of buying them on next door. So you know how you need like this one thing that might cost two grand? That service actually supposedly allows you to rent the item instead of buying the item, which would be a lot less uh, money. Uh, let's go for some food ones. I have 200 of these tips. All right. Warehouses such as Trader Joe's sell really good wine under their brand. So, Taylor, you know you like to pound down the wine, right? If you uh, Warehouse like Trader Joe's, uh, such as Trader Joe's, they actually sell really good wine under their brand name. So you would be surprised if you go to a place like that and you get their brand name of wine. They're supposedly really good. Also, Taylor, we know you're a boxed wine guy. We know it. We can see. We can tell. Uh, good wines also come in boxes and cans, which are much cheaper than the bottle because you're paying a lot of money for that bottle. So... Another thing, Taylor, when you're drinking your boxed wine, <laughs> there's also unfinished. Uh, you also need to know that unfinished wine spoils quickly if it's not refrigerated. So if you do uh, have a bottle of wine, say you drank half of it on New Year's Eve, uh, keep in mind that it spoils quickly unless you put it in the fridge. So uh, good press. Also raises the cost of wine. There was a study done. Uh, so if you see a bottle of wine that's written up in a lot of magazines, lots of times that wine will be uh, much higher and you can get a lesser known brand. So basically what they're saying is that the press that the wine gets usually raises the cost and it doesn't exactly mean that the wine is good. So keep that in mind. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go through these. I'm going to pick out the food ones. Also, if you guys want to save money buying in bulk, keep in mind that if you have a friend with a BJ's membership or a Costco or one of them pl the places, if they get you a gift card, uh, they will, you can shop there without a membership. A lot of the times, if you have a gift card from those warehouse places that you need a subscription for, if you have a gift card, a lot of times they will allow you to shop there uh, without a membership because you have the, uh, the, uh, the gift card. All right, another tip we have is switch to soda. I'm sorry, switch to Soda Stream if you drink a lot of soda. There's a thing called Soda Stream. It'll save you a lot of money if you're a soda drinker. Um, I'm trying to pick out the uh, food ones. Starbucks offers rewards for purchasers of home products. So if you're buying K cups, if you buy the Starbucks brand, they actually give you rewards. Uh, you know, towards that purchase, even though it's a home product. They did a study, Taylor. They did a study. Five billion people. They did a study. It showed that uh, Wednesday is the best day of the week to grocery shop. And people have saved the most money on their grocery bill by shopping on Wednesday. Saturday, obviously, is the worst day to, uh, to, to uh, grocery shop. Also, I have found this to be true. Say you drink a lot of hot chocolate, right? Uh, a lot of companies, and I'm not saying hot chocolate particularly, but a lot of companies, if you regularly buy a certain brand soda, you buy a certain hot chocolate product, if you email that company and you tell them how much you love their product, a lot of those companies will respond by giving you coupons for that product. So keep that in mind. So if you're at home 
and you're spending a gazillion dollars on a certain brand every week, if you actually write the company an email and say, look, I use this every day, I love it, a lot of companies will email you back coupons. They'll thank you for the email, and they will email you back coupons. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, uh, keep in mind, when you're going to a restaurant depot, we have a lot of owners of restaurants that go there. Uh, most stores allow everyone to shop there. You don't have to be an owner of a restaurant. You can buy things like silverware individually instead of being stuck buying the whole set. So if you're you know, remodeling your kitchen or whatever, uh, you can go to a, a you know a restaurant depot. Everybody in the world has one. Uh, you can buy your silverware individually instead of buying it, uh, you know, by the whole pack. A lot of your food items that are sold out quickly in a supermarket. We just had this happen, you know, back in March. I think everyone remembers. Uh, you can usually find it at a restaurant supply store if it's if it's the one with groceries. Uh, the kitchen and restaurant supplies sold at a restaurant depot type of place are usually more sturdy and they're built to last. Uh, a lot of the economy buy stuff, econo buy stuff, is actually made by the big brand name companies. So that is just a couple tips. Um, if you guys have uh, want to save money on your meals... Keep in mind that you can buy tougher cuts of meat at a fraction of the price and braise the meat. Uh, braising meat will get the tougher cuts, which are much more, uh, much less cheaper, much cheaper. And braising meat, and we're going to have our contributor, Gene, talk about this because he's a very high-skilled chef. But we'll talk to him about this in the future. But you can actually braise the tougher cuts of meat, and it'll you know it'll soften up the cups, uh, tougher cuts. Make vegetable stock from vegetable scraps. You have a lot of vegetable scraps. You can make stock out of that. Wild caught domestic fish are usually the cheaper and healthier fish items. So if you're a fish person, look for wild uh, wild caught domestic fish. Uh, let's see what else we got. There's a lot of stuff on Amazon Prime that allows you to choose a slower shipping. You don't have to get it the same day or overnight. And when you choose that, they a lot of times they'll give you uh, coupons and discounts. So you know how you always go to Amazon Prime? You're like, I need that in an hour. You can go there and choose slower shipping, and in return, they will send you a coupon. Another thing, when you put stuff in your cart on a lot of these online uh, stores, if you hold that in the cart, Taylor, without getting it right away, a lot of times the online retailer will send you coupons for that product. So it is smarter to actually put something in your cart for a day or two and then let them send you the coupon. So, it, you know, a lot of times just buying stuff right away online, if you just wait a day or two, a lot of times they will actually send you a coupon for those products. A lot of people... Uh, me included, always get the items on an online retailer immediately. And if I would wait, I could probably get a coupon from the retailer. All right. And that does it, I think. Let me just check. I want to make sure all my food tips are done. Uh, oh, another thing is... Uh, there's a thing called You Need a Budget, Dining on a Dime, Yahoo.com. Let's, uh, let's talk about it. Let's, let me know if it works. It's called You Need a Budget. I believe they go under YNAB, and it's software that keeps track of your budget, and they claim that the average person that does it saves 600 bucks. Uh, so it's called You Need a Budget, but it, I think they abbreviate it to YNAB. And what they do is they supposedly save the average person that signs up $600. So we'll see. Dining on Dime, Yahoo.com. Let's let us know. All right, folks. We hope you enjoyed today's show. 
Uh, keep in mind that we are on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook. Our Facebook uh, page is tremendous. Just go Dining on a Dime with the number one. So Dining on a Dime, number one on Facebook. Dining on a Dime, one on Twitter. But I want to let everyone know we had a tremendous week this week. Taylor, I don't even know if I told you, but our show is accepted on Pandora, Sirius XM. And our stats for the week, Pandora and uh, was our second most popular platform that listened to the show. So I want to let everyone know we're available on Pandora. Uh, check us out. We're also available on all podcast platforms. But I want to specify we're available on Amazon Music. We just gave Amazon a free plug, right? Uh, go to Amazon Music and listen to our show. You can also tell your Alexa device, hey, Alexa, play Dining on a Dime. We're also available on Spotify. Joe Rogan emailed me. He said, Kevin, we need you. Brother, come on over to Spotify. I, uh, I'll pay you $50 million of my $50 million. Come on over to Spotify. Bring Dining on a Dime to Spotify. Dining on a Dime is on Spotify. Look us up. And then the place that I listen to the show, iHeartRadio. Go to iHeartRadio. Look up Dining on a Dime. You can hear the show. want to thank everyone for listening. We will talk to you next week. You can now listen to all of our past Dining on a Dime podcast, plus see over 600 restaurant reviews with photos by going to www.phillyrestaurantreviews.com.